Hi, weather friends. Welcome to the Girls Who Chase podcast, stories of women in weather and storm chasing. I'm Jen. I'm a storm chaser and science communicator, and I'll be your host. Girls Who Chase is a new initiative that empowers and inspires girls and women around the world to pursue the sciences, the weather, and their passions. On this podcast, we'll bring you the badass female and female-identified voices of the storm-chasing weather and science community to raise and tackle some real-life tough questions and issues and identify solutions and paths forward. You can find out more about what we're doing at girlswhochase.com. Now, on to the show. Catherine Prosiv is an Emmy Award-winning senior meteorologist and producer for NBC News in New York, where she's responsible for all weather content that airs nationally across all platforms, including The Today Show and Nightly News. Catherine's been storm chasing since 2010 and says that's really where her true passion lies, and believe me, we can tell. Before NBC, Catherine spent five years as a meteorologist and weather producer at the Weather Channel, and she's co-founder and executive vice president of Monarch Weather and Climate Intelligence. She's also proud to be one of the few active female certified consulting meteorologists in the world. She holds a bachelor's and a master's from Virginia Tech. What is the origin of your interest in weather and meteorology? How'd you get started? So I'm one of those little kid stories, you know, where it was that like burst of in- inspiration that really came out of nowhere. I was six years old and, you know, you'll meet a lot of meteorologists who are, it's like that five to eight year old sweet spot. I don't know what it is about us, but I was in Dayton, Ohio. That's where I lived until I was about 10 years old. And, you know, not quite Tornado Alley in the traditional sense, but has a long history with tornadoes in general. You know, 1974 outbreak is a, still a huge part of just local history there. So grew up every year on April 3rd, 19, well, on the anniversary of April 3rd, 1974, we would have a, a school assembly where all classes were by the wayside because nearly every single one of my teachers had a personal story of, you know, living through that tornado outbreak. So I grew up hearing stories about that. So I kind of had this fascination already, but I, at the same time, was also a typical kid who was afraid of thunderstorms. So when there was a thunderstorm in the middle of the night, I would go running into my parents' room because I was scared. So this is kind of all happening. I'm six years old and my twin sister and I shout out to Lauren because she's been a part of my journey. I'm sure she'll come up a lot. We were at a birthday party, Dayton, Ohio, and I remember we were playing around, I don't know, and the mother comes in, she's like, girls, bad weather's coming, everybody go home. And, you know, you listen, so we're like, okay, but in hindsight, we go outside and the storm was already there. So we're now running outside, she sends us out into the storm, honestly, and I remember the sky was green, and in my mind, I'm still afraid of thunderstorms at this point. And I'm like, green sky equals bad. Didn't know why it was bad. I just knew that it was bad. So we're running down the street, you know, me, my sister, and a bunch of other little six-year-olds. And I remember just this rush of wind and looking up and a pea green funnel cloud just went screaming right over the street. We were running down. And, you know, here, I mean, it was gone in two seconds. And I do this because I remember exactly what direction it went. It went that way. 
and it's over the trees. And when I tell you, it stopped me in my tracks. Everyone else, they're running, you know, faster. And I just stopped and was like, what was that? And I want to see it again. You know, where did it go? And in that moment, it was fear to curiosity like this. So I finally make my way home. It's raining at this point. And let's talk about my twin sister who was already home. So clearly every woman for herself here. And I get in trouble because she beat me home. So clearly I was out doing something else. And my dad was like, where were you? You know, and I was wet and everything. And he says, I don't remember this part truthfully, but he says, I just pointed outside. And I said, I want to do that when I was six years old. So that was my origin story for weather. It's so fascinating to me. I feel like nearly everyone I've ever asked this question of has said that it somehow there was a transition that went from like pure fear to mm-hmm. fascination, but not yeah. everyone can remember that moment. And um, that is a hell of a story. <laughs> Let's just say, I'm glad it wasn't a tornado. Yeah. And it was a funnel cloud because it might not be here today. Wow. But that was it. Yeah. Yeah. The the let's send everyone home when it's already there (laughs) part is, will never cease to amaze me. No, no. Everybody go home into the storm. So did you then go like look stuff up? Or was it more of a lengthy transition where it was sort of like, that was fascinating and I want to know more about tornadoes. And then you decided on meteorology later. Like, what was the progression? It was immediate. Like, I don't remember being interested in anything else after that moment. Wow. Truthfully, like, I managed to make English papers about weather. Like, we had to do this poetry project in 11th grade. I don't even remember what it was. I managed to find every poem ever written about the weather for my, like, AP English course. Like, there wasn't even another option. And again, you know, going back to my dad, I can hear him in my head. You know, he's born and raised Queens, you know, New York City. So in his accent, he was like, I tried to get you interested in becoming a doctor. I tried to get you to do this. I tried to get you to do that. And he's like, that damn weather, you, you never let it go. You never let it go. Because he says there was a moment, I think I was in fifth grade, and he was like, I have a heart murmur. No big deal. I grew out of it. That's not the point of this story. But for, you know, five minutes, maybe, I was like, maybe I'll be a cardiologist because I have a heart murmur and, you know, I can help others with a heart murmur. My dad says I was like reading some book about, I don't know, hearts. And there was just like a garden variety afternoon storm. And I was like, going outside and slammed the book and <laughs> left and went outside. And he was like, another one bites the dust. Like he knew, like in that moment, it was like, she's not going to be a cardiologist because she went right back out. Wow. So I really don't remember past that moment ever wanting to do anything else in my life. And you have a twin sister who had started mm-hmm. out in the same location as you with this storm going yeah. by, but then just pieced out home and was like, nope, I'm out of here. She did what most people would do, <laughs> right? Of just like run faster and get home to get seek shelter, right. right? She was like listening to everything that's been told to her. So it's funny, she's been in this parallel journey with me. So, you know, in high school, now we're driving and I was always the driver. She was always riding shotgun. It was great. We never fought. I know it's very rare for siblings, but that meant I had control. So we'd be driving home from high school 
and I'd like look up and I'd know we had a chance for storms that day because I'm already into weather and I'd be like, let's go see it. And she's, you know, doing homework in the car and she, wait, what? And I'm already, you know, getting off the nearest exit to try and like go and see the storm. So she's been on this journey and she can out cloud type classify many meteorologists just through osmosis because she's outside and I'm always looking up and I'm like, oh, you know what that is? Oh, look at those. Right. So she's supportive. Uh, (laughs) Will she ever come storm chasing? No. Really? That's where she draws the line. She draws the line. Yes. And she's, she says she'd be game. Mm, I, I, I think she likes to listen to me talk about it. So, and if she were here right now, she would then launch into the stories about how she's almost been struck by lightning twice because she's taller than me <laughs> and she was outside watching a storm. So whether or not that's true, that is the hill she will die on. <laughs> so Lauren has really been on this, you know, journey with me. So. Got it. But not a meteorologist. Right. Right. So along the way then... Who supported you in that process? Like who, who did you look up to? Did you have mentors? So when I was young, so before this is pre-college, you know, I'm doing all of these weather reports that aren't weather classes, but I'm making every class a weather class at this point. My biggest role model was honestly, Dr. Greg Forbes of the weather channel you know it was i was watching the weather channel every day day in day out you know i'd come home from school i'd watch the weather channel and while the other you know young women my age were you know idolizing maybe britney spears or christina aguilera whoever it may be listen i love their music great musicians still listen to them today I was idolizing and studying and watching Dr. Greg Forbes. Like I was very different, you know, from everybody else who was over here, you know, watching and idolizing that kind of camp, if you will. And I was full blown. I want to be Dr. Greg Forbes when I grow up. And, you know, I'm sure you hear that a lot with meteorologists, especially when we're kids. It's those on-camera meteorologists. They're the first meteorologists Mm -hmm. we see. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't necessarily see private sector meteorologists. You certainly don't see academics until you get through school. So on-camera is all you know. And Dr. Greg Forbes stuck out to me because, you know, obviously a funnel cloud was my genesis of loving weather. I love all weather, but I do have, you know an affinity for severe weather specifically. And that was Dr. Greg Forbes. Every time I turned him on, he was talking tornadoes and I could just sit and listen to him all night for hours and hours. And I loved that. It was like, we came to him. He was this expert voice. He was calm, you know, and I was like, I want to be him when I grow up, Dr. Greg Forbes. (laughs) (laughs) And he knows it. He does know it. We are now good friends. Yeah. You know, I'm very fortunate. I'm very lucky. I did end up working. This wasn't with him a silent stalker type scenario. And no, <laughs> he he is well aware of like my fascination with him, and you know how important he is to me. So it is. I mean, I would also say that you're actually lucky. There's so few of us, I feel like, who myself included, who are that young and just know. You know, mm-hmm. like I'm kind of jealous that. You were that directed, that you were that certain. That's amazing. 
Yeah, you know, it didn't make things easy necessarily. You know, it sounds like I was always like, I'm going to be a meteorologist, but my, the road wasn't straight to get there because, you know, I went to an in-state school because, you know, in-state tuition, right? I got into Penn State. It was my dream school, got into the meteorology program. I still have a t-shirt from when I went for a Aww. tour. But at the end of the day, it was out of state, you know, couldn't afford it. So stick with an in-state school. I ended up going to a school that didn't have a meteorology program. It didn't have an atmospheric science program. It had one class. Oh my god! One meteorology class. But I got there and it was an upper level course. I took it as a freshman because I muscled my way in. <laughs> it was hard. <laughs> But then after that, I was like, well, now what? And, you know, I kind of found out that some thoughts were already at, it was Virginia Tech. I'm a Hokie. Love being a Hokie. Oh, yeah. I found out that there were some conversations happening around maybe developing a meteorology program, but it hadn't really gotten anywhere. And so I found out who to speak to and I marched right into their office <laughs> and said, I'm going to be a meteorologist let's make it happen. Or how can I, let me help you help me become a meteorologist <laughs> <laughs> by kicking off this program. So, you know, and that was, that was a lot of work, but it wasn't a straight road to get there, but I made it happen. What, so was there more schooling after that? Or like, how did you then transition from, what did you, what, what degree did you graduate with? So I took every meteorology course as it became available, like the very inaugural class, I took it. I helped interview faculty who became the new department and they're all still there. So I technically grilled current faculty as like a 20 year old, you know, like I would sit at the table with them and be like, what's your favorite type of weather? <laughs> you know, like these high level, like doctorate faculty. So, you know, I'm doing all that. But it's funny, on paper, my degree is in geography, geospatial analysis, because even though I had the coursework, you know, bureaucracy, it's got a, all the paperwork was not complete oh, yeah. to give me that stamp. Yep. But then how I kind of explained, like I kind of made every class meteorology <laughs> along the way. Cut to I'm going to grad school also at Virginia Tech. It's also geography coursework. But my thesis was debunking the myth that tornadoes don't happen in mountains. Oh, so wow. I made my, you know, thesis work <laughs> weather related and used geographic tools and science to do it. So that was kind of my education. So funny. We we are not so far apart in that regard. I also <laughs> entirely manipulated both my undergrad and graduate program. <laughs> Um, to give me what I was looking for. So that's it's awesome. amazing. Sounds like you could have taught yep. a lot of those meteorology classes almost before some of I, the professors. I did stay on an extra semester after I got my graduate degree and taught intro to meteorology. That same class I took, it was upper level as a freshman. I then taught so I kind of like brought it all full circle, which was kind of fun. Awesome. And it was a hundred students and they were like, we'll get this new master's degree student who like not pay her much and make her do all the work. So I taught a hundred students and all four labs. And I loved every minute of it. You know, the students challenged me to learn everyone's names by the end of the semester. And I did it by Halloween because I'm very competitive. 
And anyway, I loved, I loved teaching. I think I'll probably go back to it one day. But Sounds after, like you, need to. you know, the, the, you know, teaching, then I was kind of off into my career. Gotcha. So what is it about working in weather, studying weather? Um, and I'll broaden this to storm chasing as well, because you are a storm chaser. Um, I am. That keeps you coming back for more. Like, what is it that keeps you hooked? I did think of this question ahead of time. I have a lot of answers, but I kept coming back to the same answer every time of, and it's going to sound wild, maybe to some, but maybe not to others. When I go out to the Great Plains, I actually feel calm. It is the best I feel all year. You know, here we are around this violent weather, but I am out in the Great Plains, you know, big sky, wide open country. It's like you can breathe, you can see everything. And with like-minded people, if you will, you know, again, we're all cut from a different cloth. Those of us who want to go out and chase these storms and not hide from them like, you know, regular people. And I remember when I saw my first tornado, you know, I was like ramping it up in my head and my mind. And when I finally saw it, I was leaning up against a van. And I actually said to myself, why are you so calm? Should you be so calm? <laughs> and I, I, you know, right, because other people, of course, were like, you know, more excited. And I was very excited. But I then the, the next thought was, I've always wanted to do this. And I'm finally here. And that kind of brings me back. You know, every time I return from a storm chase, it's the best mood I'm in mm -hmm. all year, mm -hmm. you know, because I've been out and I've been wild and I've been free and I've usually learned something. You know, I always encourage people to go out there because we're always going to see something <laughs> happens to me every year, always humbled that I see something, you know, that I didn't expect, didn't forecast, didn't know could happen. Right. And now I'm a better meteorologist for it. So let's back up a few steps. How did you get into chasing? So you went to go work in meteorology. Uh, and let's talk about that a little bit. And then how did the storm chasing start? So I started storm chasing in college. So there was a field course just a great plain storm chase. You got three credits for going out Sweet. and chasing storms, best class right? Ever. And it, it was the best class ever. And it was my mentor, probably my first, I, like, I obviously loved, you know, watching Dr. Greg Forbes, but he wasn't my first physical mentor. I didn't meet him until I was in my career, but Dave Carroll was my first mentor, professor, you know, instructor meteorology. He was the only one so when I told you I was taking every class as it became available, Dave was teaching every new class to make it available until we got more faculty in. And he was, you know, lover of weather. He had been running a student storm chase crew for years through a high school, a local high school in Southwest Virginia. And now, you know, transitioned it to a collegiate course for credit. And so as soon as I could do it, I went out there. And then every year after that, I went from just, you know, kind of student first year to kind of student instructor as a lead who had experience, continued through grad school, you know, basically research assistant credit for just going out and chasing tornadoes. Sweet. 
for the summer, <laughs> right? And then went back after I started working at Weather Channel, went back and that was special because then I kind of co-led the storm chase with my mentor. So that has continued many years. Man. And to think when I was a research assistant, I was just sitting in a windowless room coding papers <laughs> when I could have been out storm chasing. I, what is wrong with me? I did that too. <laughs> and then for a little for a little bit, I would do the storm chase. All right. So we share that. Don't worry. Okay. Phew. <laughs> and then so... You finished college and grad school and then went mm -hmm. to work for the Weather Channel. Like what was the trip? What did the progression look like? So the progression finished teaching. I moved back up to the Washington, D.C. area because it's time to get a real job because we all face that eventually. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I moved back in with my parents and, you know, love them. Right. And just job searching, jobs are applying these long, you know, application process, you know, with every different type of place. I was, you know, Department of Defense because I did have the geography degree. So they do a lot of mapping, cartography, like I could have done that. You know, I'm applying for other types of GIS jobs in the Washington DC area. A lot of it's federal government related because DC, but I just knew, I was like, oh, I don't think I want to do that, but I need a job and you got to start somewhere. But on the side while applying for jobs, you know, probably five, 10 a day, I was writing for the Capital Weather Gang, the Washington Post weather blog, which they took me in. Jason same now had never even met me, but I like Facebook messaged him and he answered. So I was writing for them as well as U.S. Tornadoes with Ian Livingston, who chases now. So he took me in. So I was kind of writing a lot about all these fun topics and making maps and making cool visuals and also teaching geography courses at the local community college. So I was staying busy and doing all these kinds of odd jobs while applying for a real job. And then, you know, you start feeling rejected a lot because it was like, no, no, no. Or you just don't hear back. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to live with my parents forever. <laughs> Again, love them. <laughs> but, you know, I'm 24 years old at this point. You know, I want right. to like get out it's and, time. you know, yeah. do other things and, and see a new place. Anyway, so on the National Weather Association job board, because I was a member, I still am, I saw a weather producer for the Weather Channel come across. And I remember sitting in my childhood bedroom and laughing at like, wouldn't that be something? You know, because I've been watching the Weather Channel my whole life. And those were the first meteorologists I ever saw. And I was like, wouldn't that be something? <laughs> Atlanta. And then I'm reading through and I had none of the qualifications. <laughs> Because I was not broadcast, you know, I didn't do communication courses, no journalism. I didn't know what the computer software they use. I was like, what is that? And the only bullet point I had was knows and loves the weather. So I had that. But they just wanted a resume. And I was like, that's easy. It's not a hundred step portal. Send. And I remember walking down and telling my dad, I was like, dad, you want to hear something funny? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, I just applied to a job at the Weather Channel. <laughs> I'll never hear back. And he was like, no kidding. And then went back to like watching whatever show he was watching. And I'm like, I'm never going to hear back from them. And then I don't remember how much time had passed. I think it was a couple months. I get a call from someone at the Weather Channel. And he says, hey, and it came out like this. Your resume is unlike anything we've ever hired before. You're very different. You have an eclectic 
background, none of which is broadcast <laughs> or journalism. <laughs> but we'd like you to come in and, you know, tell us about yourself. And maybe you have a different, you know, set of skills and you could bring something different to the table. So I did. And two weeks later, they were like, can you start in two weeks and move down here on a freelancer salary? So, you know, new city, no family, freelancer salary. Oh my God. And I was like, absolutely. Yes. Packed up my SUV, drove down and, you know, started and was there for five and a half years. So, you know, I'm probably going to hop to your next question as I'm producing this now for you. And I apologize. No. Hey, you whole, might as well you know, showcase your skills and talents. That's <laughs> <laughs> listen. But the lesson in that is you know, if you see something that you're interested in, and even if you're not qualified and you don't think you can do it, yeah. you know what I'm going to say. Yeah. Do it. Do it. Absolutely. Because that's how I got my job yep. at the Weather Channel. It's interesting too, because I often find that if you are truly passionate about something, eventually mm-hmm. you are going to capture someone's attention with that because it's just yes. impossible to not um, emulate that in every way to communicate that. Right. Um, through your body language and, and language, literal written language. Um, and there's just something about that that almost draws things in in a way that wouldn't otherwise. Like if you're really not that interested or you're kind of half-assing it or um, it's not number one, it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. But it's so interesting how, you know, somebody decided to give you a chance. It was that openness um, to something different. And I, I'll bet it was also the passion that you communicated. Yes. I would like to think that, you know, I hooked them as soon as they let me come down and talk to them. They were like, wow. <laughs> as in like, or maybe I should have said a lot. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Like, woo, she really, really likes the weather. Um, and yeah, they, they gave me a shot, but I, you're right. Like, and I operate on this whole kind of guys of always being honest and open. And yeah, I mean, the person was like, you're not qualified for this. And I was like, I know. What, what do you, you know? What else like, are you going to me. Yeah. yeah. I was like, you called me. Okay. Yeah. You know, now that we got that out of the way, you want to keep talking to me, <laughs> you know, and, and they did. So it's true. <laughs> and obviously you learned the software and right. All the rest of that is teachable. Yes. And I, I, you know, I mentor students a lot, especially college age students. And I tell them all the time, you know, skills that at least I'm looking for now that I do internships and everything it's that enthusiasm, which you mentioned, mm-hmm. right? It's willingness to try everything because that's what will get you noticed. That's what will get you remembered. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever skill, everywhere you go, they do things differently. You're going to have to get trained no matter what. So you shouldn't worry about that, truthfully. I mean, I didn't know that weather software. I knew how to make maps and it all, it all translates. So you're going to learn it. You're going to learn it their way. That's not anything to sweat. It's being enthusiastic because people remember like, you know what? I really liked working with, you know, him or her or, you know, she, in my case, was always willing to, you know, jump in and do even the odd jobs or the, you know, the odd hours or the odd days. Right. So people remember that. Hi, Girls Who Chase podcast listeners. It's Jen, host of the podcast and founder of Girls Who Chase. If you've ever thought to yourself, I'd love to start storm chasing, but I have no idea how to get started. Believe me, you're not alone. 
We've been hearing this over and over since we launched in early 2022, and I've thought a lot about how we might be able to help. After all, our mission is not just to inspire and empower, it's to equip as well. Today, I've got some exciting news for you. We've put together a virtual Storm Chase training we'll be offering Saturday, March 4th, 2023, that I'm calling Spring Training. And yes, the pun is intended. Just like in baseball, we'll gather every spring to shake off the rust, refresh our skills, and get ready to hit a home run. Spring Training, which we're providing in partnership with the leading meteorology education organization, Comet's MetEd program, will provide foundational, operational, and accessible information and training material for storm chasers at all levels. From those who want to begin their chase education or brush up on the basics, to more advanced chasers wanting to learn more in depth about specialized topics. Spring training speakers are experts within their fields, and the training is an opportunity to learn from them in depth, in addition to offering interactive opportunities to ask questions and chat with chasing veterans. If you're wondering, yes, you can afford this. This event will always be held virtually and remain affordable. Girls Who Chase is a global community and we believe strongly in making science and learning accessible to everyone without the constraints of travel or financial hardship. And if you can't make it on March 4th, don't worry. We'll be recording all presentations and they'll be made permanently available to registrants. For all the details, including topics, speakers, and the schedule, please go to girlswhochase.com slash springtraining. We hope to see you there. Now, back to the show. You were at the Weather Channel for five and a half years, and then now you're at NBC. So mm -hmm. what experience did you gain at the Weather Channel? And then where what are you now doing at NBC? And, and how did all of that translate? So that's a great question. With broadcast meteorology, the main software we use that I was telling you I didn't know until I got to Weather Channel, it's called TrueView Max. And it's what almost every broadcast station uses for weather graphics. So once you learn it somewhere, you know, you've got that skill set to take it somewhere else and you're kind of set there. So NBC uses TrueView Max. I'm pointing that way because 30 Rock is over there. <laughs> That's, I am Italian. And I talk with my for hands. For those of you listening, <laughs> Catherine is sitting in her apartment in New York City and pointing yes. in the direction of 30 Rock because <laughs> you can't see this. It's over there. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. That's right. I'm pointing to my right. Yes. Like an, like that a, um, uh, Yes, over here. Okay. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so I had the technology basis taken care of, you know, with the TrueView Max stuff. And then I knew Al Roker because I worked on the morning show uh, or the morning hours, especially kind of all the shows in the morning at the Weather Channel. Wake Up With Al was one of them. It came on very early in the morning. So I would help produce that. I would send emails, you know, to Al, to other producers. I would talk to him on the phone, give a weather briefing. So we were also familiar with each other as well for many years, but never met in person. I mean, I think we had talked back and forth in some form or fashion for like five whole years and never met in person. And now it's a running joke because he came to the Weather Channel down to Atlanta one day to like meet a bunch of people and new teams and new producers. And I was like really tired. So I went home. Like, I don't know what I was thinking. And he knows this whole story where he was like, yeah, hey, hey, KP, like I met you, right? And I was like, no, 
And he was like, were you on vacation or were you gone somewhere? And I was like, no, I went home. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I I was tired. I had probably been at work since like one in the morning. And I yeah. always, like, I, I humble myself every day and I, I tend to humble others by accident. Like, I was like, I'm so sorry, Al. I don't know why I went home. But here we are. You know what I mean? So, so instead of but anyway, fangirling with everyone else, yeah, you no, were not I, present. I went I went home. And I, I've done that several times in my career where I just like go Miss home things. or I I don't recognize a certain celebrity in 30 Rock and I just have a conversation with them like it's a normal day. <laughs> and then I walk out and I realize who it was because someone has to tell me. It's very you know, on brand for me. But anyway, um, knew of him. My family's from New York. So I'm familiar with Al. I'm familiar, you know, with New York, which can be its own, a beast in its own way, you know, to kind of move up here if you've never been up here. Uh, you know, similar to the Weather Channel of, I've never said no to a new opportunity or a big opportunity. And so I said, yeah, I'm ready to, you know, grow and move to a different city and work with Al for a little bit. And so that's how I took this position. And what is it that you do now specifically? So it started off, the role itself as weather producer started off very similar to what I did at the Weather Channel. Show up, you know, discover what are the big weather stories of the day? What order, you know, do we want to tell them in? Help make the maps, you know, the graphics that Al or Dylan will present on the Today Show, for example, and then go home. And then go back the next day and do it all again, you know, with new weather stories. You know, that was kind of the routine. Same thing at Weather Channel. No matter what show I was on, what are the top weather stories? How do we tell them? Make the maps or visuals to tell them. Go home. Do it again. Now, I still do that to a certain extent. But my role has evolved immensely here because in my time since coming to NBC 2018, you know, this whole you know, tiny topic, maybe most people have heard about it at this point, climate change has come to the forefront of, you know, a lot of conversations and a lot of disciplines. And, you know, there's an appetite there to, you know, talk about it, people want to learn about it. And so now, you know, when I got to NBC, we were the weather unit, and we are now rebranded the climate unit, you know, to kind of put that big of a foot forward to say, this is one of our big initiatives we're going to report on climate, you know, and everything about it, whether it's, you know, the stats behind the warming Arctic or solutions like, okay, we get it now. Yikes, right? Atmosphere is warming. <laughs> how do we stop it or how do we mitigate it? You know, so we try to, we know there's a lot of doom and gloom there and we're trying to have that kind of positive, you know, here's how you can help at the end of the day. So my day now is split, completely split. I, First part of my day, I'm weather producing, you know, today's show, I'm helping with maps, I'm up early doing all of that. And then second half of the day is pitching climate stories, researching climate stories, you know, and then executing them into a piece. Like what percent of what you learned in college or out of a textbook do you feel like you're using? Oh, You've, I've got kind of a smirky face say. on right now because I, because I don't have I to like do calculations. <laughs> yes. And I have yet to crunch 
a calculation so far in my career. And what's funny is I remember <laughs> when I was, you know, taking all of the Cal courses, for example, in college and in the afternoons, I would volunteer at the National Weather Service down the street. So I would sit and I'd bring my homework and I would, you know, shadow the forecasters doing the grids. And I remember Robert Stonefield, who I still keep in touch with. He's one of my dear friends because we both love Metallica. So we share that as well as a side story. But I remember sitting and just like, you know, struggling through this like very hard calculus and being like, Robert, do you ever have to do calculations for your job today? And he was like, nope. You know, just this smug like, nope, but you got to learn it, you know? And so that stuff, no, I don't use it, right? The, you know, kind of mapping skills that I got, because again, I make maps for my job, totally use that every day. You know, since I didn't have the communication and journalism skill, that's had to be a muscle that I have had to completely learn in my career, especially on the climate side. You know, like I know weather, I've been forecasting weather for, you know, a decade now in, in the career sense. But then all of a sudden I'm working with journalists on these climate stories and we're not forecasting the weather you know we're finding a pitch or we're writing a pitch and then we're going out and we're finding people to talk to you know it's like i don't work with meteorologists mm -hmm. on the climate side of things and i have to kind of know my audience there mm -hmm. <laughs> and not geek out too hard sometimes um but that has been a muscle because i did not learn how to be a traditional producer in the sense of journalism in school right yeah, I kind of like had a purpose for asking that question. One part was to see how much math you used on a daily basis. But <laughs> the other is like, I taught, you know, uh, when I was in grad school, I taught like introduction to PR for natural resources, like public relations and natural mm -hmm. resources. And everybody hated it. It was like this class you had to take as a senior. They would always take it at the last okay. minute and everyone, <laughs> they came in hating it and they left hating it. And the, the theory was always, you know, at the end of the day, most of this is actually going to be communication, like 90% mm -hmm. communication, 10% hard skills that we've learned that's in right. a lot of these classes. And, and that that's where the making meaning out of the science, I think, really comes mm -hmm. into play. And so you're a great example of that, I think, because you have this very technical background, but ended up in broadcast, mm -hmm. which is all about communicating. And you mentioned knowing your audience. So I, I totally had mm -hmm. a point to that. <laughs> Sorry. I followed you the myself. whole way. I'm, no, I'm right there with you. <laughs> all right. It's very similar. Yeah, no, it is. It, it is. And what would be the point of being a meteorologist in to a large degree if you weren't communicating about it? And obviously right. there, there are exceptions to this and, and I'm, I'm, you know, stereotyping to a degree, but you know, like if you can't explain the science to people who are going to be impacted by the effects of weather or climate change over time, then your research is just going to go sit in a dusty corner somewhere, basically. So you could do right. really impactful, That's important right. research, but if you're not able to share that information or discuss it with people or talk about impacts or encourage behavior change, then what, at the end of the day, why bother? Mm hmm. Yes. And it's so 
another muscle that I'm trying to get better at because you said it, I'm more technically, I'm more physical scientist, obviously, than a social scientist. But, you know, I'll take the recent Christmas blizzard in Buffalo for a great example of I was very frustrated by, you know, all the fatalities. You know, it's just heartbreaking. And when we're, you know, communicating, 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 I almost take it personally when there's immense loss of life from something that I know, and I know I'm making it about me, which is the problem. It's what I'm trying to figure out is like, I know we said 70 mile an hour winds and three feet of snow for 30 hours. And to me, you know, that physical scientist would be like, okay, that sounds dangerous, you know, make the necessary preparations or, you know, don't travel or whatever we're saying. We're not saying that because we enjoy hearing ourselves speak. We're saying that because we know that's how you protect yourself is don't travel in those conditions. So, you know, I'm about to have a conversation, hopefully at the upcoming weather conference with social scientists, because I know what I don't know. Right. I don't want to say the wrong thing as a physical scientist. And at the end of the day, I just want to save lives. And that's through better communication. So I'm looking to other people who are smarter than me in that realm, you know, help me. Yeah. So it's a tough conversation. You know, Hurricane Ian was another one. So much loss of life. And it's 2000. Well, as of today, it's 2023. But, you know, 2022 you know, and over a hundred people dying in a hurricane. I mean, that happened in the 1930s, but 2022, it just doesn't compute to me when I know the communication is out there, the information's out there, but there's a disconnect. So I don't know if I've gotten off no, topic, this but is that an is, important I'm, I'm in there yeah, right now. Absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it has a tendency I've noticed to come up after big weather events that do result in loss of life or a lot of destruction mm-hmm. of, of property. And Yes, I I often hear right, and I'm of course approaching this from the um, the opposite skill set, right? My background is is yes. skills wise in uh, journalism and public relations, but then topically is environment and science and climate change, and um, I struggle with right. this sort of like we have to communicate better because it's certainly not for yes. lack of interest or support or desire. It's just that people are hard and right. And every time Mm -hmm. it comes up, there's always that person who's like, but what about the people who can't afford to evacuate or, um, who had to be out in the snowstorm because that was their job and their job does your job doesn't shut down in a snowstorm, right? There's always these exceptions. And so, but it does, it shouldn't shut down the conversation um, or, you know, discourage people right. from continuing to talk about it. But I think the piece that um, we've struggled with over the years with this is recognizing that it really all comes down to human behavior and understanding what gets in the mm-hmm. way for one reason or another. The rest of it, we've perfected, you know, like news knows how to mm-hmm. do news scientists understand how to break down technical information, right? Everybody's gotten quite good at all of these things. And it's not a good use of time, in my opinion, to go focus on those. It's, it's 
it's much more nuanced Mm -hmm. and complex than that. And that's why we haven't tackled it yet because we don't completely, it's almost like you have to add into the conversation, like a psychologist (laughs) or a human behaviorist who can contribute to that, you know? That's right. Um, But yeah, that's just my like rant. It's, You know, it's that hyper-local approach, right, of vulner- vulnerabilities that we can't see or we don't know about, you know, what you mentioned, whether it's economic cost of, you know, traveling, not traveling, needing to work, whatever, you know, that stuff that I wouldn't know about, you know, at this point. But I'll quote my sister. I told you she would find her way into this conversation throughout the night. <laughs> but she's, you know, kind of marketer by trade, but did a lot of behavioral science research on the human side, you know, how do you get people to buy your product, right? Because she's marketing. And I'll never forget, she basically was the one who helped me recognize that humans are harder to predict than the weather. (laughs) And we know how hard the weather is to predict. So then you put, you know, people on top of it, and it's impossible. So we're doing our best. Yeah. But I think the takeaway here is, of course, you're emotionally invested in making a difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Always. For sure. Yes. Let's let's change tracks a little bit, but stick with the broadcast track. What has your experience been like over the years as a female meteorologist in broadcast? And has it evolved over time? So where my thought process goes there right away, when I got into broadcast, that was my first experience with more women. Because before I got to broadcast, all of my mentors were men. And I mean, I wouldn't trade them for the world. They are why I'm here today. You know, Dave Carroll, the meteorologist at the National Weather Service, you know, all men, the instructors, professors, men, you know, at the time. So, you know, I was always surrounded by men. And, you know, we have talked about our story with storm chasing, you know that my first year my car was called the man band plus Catherine. It's because I was the only female. So then I got to, you know, broadcast and all of a sudden I had all of these female meteorologists in front of me, you know, Stephanie Abrams, Maria LaRosa, Jen Carfagno, because, you know, in TV, whether or not they meant it to be this way, Anchor pairs, you know, a lot of times could be male, female, or then there'd be two females on the anchor desk. And I was just like, there's two women meteorologists, you know, talking and they're the only voices that we're hearing. That's amazing. Right. You know, Crystal Egger, who became my business partner, we might get to that at some point. So that was very special to me to suddenly overnight have women as, you know, mentors in broadcast meteorology. Now that, how it's evolved through time, more women have come on the map and, you know, become, you know, more or folded into expert roles, which, you know, is great for me to see. Cause again, Dr. Greg Forbes, I always was like, Ooh, Dr. Greg Forbes, he's on the tornado desk and he's an expert. Right. And so to see women, you know, come into these roles is very special. I think it's important for younger women, you know, to be able to say, Hey, I could do that. So the evolution has just been more women coming forward in bigger roles, getting those chief positions at local stations, which historically, you know, that chief position was male dominated. So I've seen the evolution 
in real time in broadcast and storm chasing more women coming you know onto the scene in storm chasing too it's almost like power in numbers you know who's stepping forward first right and then the rest is history because then you know we all kind of band together and go together which is awesome in addition to this broadcast background you have developed you also own your own consulting company which you just alluded to so how did that come about and does that fulfill that technical side in a different way yes we'll start there you know it's a completely different mindset completely different work you know broadcasting i'm breaking things down and communicating it Whereas, you know, don't necessarily have to do that. You know, it's going head first into that data science, the, you know, technical aspect of meteorology to solve real problems, you know, that are often business related, property value related. And how it came to be was, so my business partner, Crystal Egger, she and I met at the Weather Channel. You know, she was there, she was on camera. I was behind the scenes as a producer And so we developed a relationship because I would produce content for her, obviously. So she leaves Weather Channel. She moves back out to California. That's where her home is. That's where family is. So she moved back closer to home. And she's kind of going about, you know, her life out there. And we're still keeping in touch. And a risk manager from a very large company just reached out to her on LinkedIn and basically was like, hey, you know, I manage all of these facilities around the world. They hold millions of dollars worth of inventory. And I just had one completely leveled by Hurricane Maria because the facility was in Puerto Rico. And he said, we knew a hurricane was coming. We didn't know that was coming, right? And so he recognized he needed a meteorologist on his team. And that was one example, you know, losing millions of dollars that he was like, that's, that was really frightening and bad for business. I think, you know, I need to think outside the box here and get some other support. And so Crystal said, yes. And he said, can you forecast worldwide? And she was like, I'm going to need some help. That's a big job. So she asked me if I would be her business partner and I never say no. So I was like, absolutely. This sounds, you know, I rarely do international forecasting. That's super fun and exciting. And again, another new muscle that, you know, we have to strengthen. And, you know, got it cleared through the Weather Channel. It's cleared through NBC, you know, because it's not media. We're doing completely different, you know, insurance companies. That's who we do a lot of our work for. But we're building custom models. You know, we're not just giving people a rainfall forecast and be like, have a nice day. We're giving them a flood risk forecast because I'm not speaking to other meteorologists. Never am I speaking to other. So they don't, you know, what does two inches versus six inches mean to me? So using those geographic techniques and skills that we have, you know, we can layer topography on top of rainfall, on top of soil type, you know, you name it and spit out a flood risk. So this risk manager is now looking like, okay, I'm going to get five inches of rain over the state of California. And it, it kind of spits out a low, medium, high likelihood of a flood. So he knows exactly where to point his resources. 
So it's, you know, modeling and all of that. It's a lot of climate risk. You know, we're not just talking five day forecasts. We're talking five year, 50 year forecasts using the global climate models because real estate firms come to us and they're like, so we have, you know, again, million dollar properties in all of these places. Can you tell us if it's, if they're vulnerable? And if I need to think about pulling investments out of an area, when, before they flood? or get, you know, hit by a hurricane. So it's really interesting, interesting work. And every day something new comes across my desk. At one point I had, um, this was free advice, uh, a, a blimps. Someone wanted to use blimps to fly them over wildfires to take pictures. And I that just said, wise. <laughs> uh, no, that's just, we're not gonna fly a blimp, you know, <laughs> that's full of gas. <sighs> over you know a wildfire that's 2000 oh my degrees God. so this is just going to be free advice <laughs> don't do it you know that so that's always wow. like one of my favorite things of just like what's going to come across my desk today but it translates you know i learn things with monarch that i can translate to nbc and help there you know the models that we build you know i can look at and they can help me assess risks and how to communicate for nbc so, you know, it, it goes hand in and hand. And Monarch Consulting, which is the name of your business, is completely women run, correct? Yep. It's, yeah, majority women owned. So Crystal and I, you know, we, we check all those boxes and we are women owned. And we recently brought on another managing partner. His name is Kevin. He owns a, a piece of the company. He does have equity, but we're still all women owned. My twin sister, because here she comes again <laughs> out of left field. She's our, she's our director of marketing and the kind of chief data analyst who, you know, helps us with a lot of the mapping and the modeling, also a woman, Ashley, and she is also a Hokie. So we're kind of a company full of Virginia Tech Hokies and women. So this is a, this is actually a big, (laughs) how many folks work there right now? Oh gosh. If you, so Monarch, we've got the three managing partners and Lauren, my sister, so four, and then our chief data analysts on kind of the outside of things, four as well. And then we've got, see, now this is like a loaded question because we have interns every semester. We awesome. bring them in for a paid internship, you know, because again, there's your kind of mentoring yeah. education. It's very important to me. And then, you know, another freelancer, Jenna, who's helping us do data analysis so, so like 5.27. The more, the more, the better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I will say, because I get this question a lot, like, yes, we're women owned and, you know, women supporting women, but our very first intern was Peter. So I'm not, yeah. you know, saying we only, you know, hire and seek out women, yeah. but, you know, women owned and then, you know, whoever wants to come and be gotcha. a part of us obviously can. So looking back now uh, at all of, all of this experience that you have amassed, what important lessons have you learned that you wish you'd known when you started that you'd want to share most specifically with other women working in meteorology, weather, um, and related areas? I think, and I, I've been looking forward to this question, this whole podcast, because I think it's a good one that, you know, those of us who are, you know, a little bit older and go first, you know, we experience challenges and there's a lot of things I don't want other women, you know, to have to go through, right? Or navigate it a little bit better 
if you will. So, you know, my big one, and I say it every time is be fearless and do not give up. I mean, I knew it's when I was six, I was going to be meteorologist and it wasn't a direct road to get there. So, you know, make it happen and ignore the haters for lack of a better way of putting it. Because again, you know, being the only woman at times, you know, I stuck out. I didn't necessarily, you know, experience a lot of hardships probably because I just, you know, stepped forward first and spoke the loudest. I don't know. But I have had a lot of haters, you know, when I was 14 and I always knew I was going to go into broadcast, right? I am predominantly behind the scenes. But when I was 14, I was told, but we're not going to name any names here, but I was told by someone that I could be prettier. When I was 16, I was told by someone who was hiring in the talent sphere of things that I didn't have the look and to go and find something else to do. And you and I were on the Today Show together, you know? So it's like, do not, it's so easy and, you know, to get stuck in a rut and, you know, do I remember those things that were said to me? Yes. Right. I wish I could just forget them. Nobody but I does. Clearly have not. That's the sad part. And yeah, no, but you can't let it exactly. stop you. Right. If you believe in yourself and you have a passion, just keep going. Don't worry about them. So, you know, I've had to learn that obviously a little bit through the years for sure. Cause I have let it almost, you know, sink me down a couple of times, but you know, we got close, but I didn't. Um, and, and that's really, really important, you know, and weather is not, not easy, right? It's technical, it's the math, you know, but if you love it, just don't give up. If you don't do well in a class, take it again, you know? And again, I am, you know, part of the hiring process, if you will, especially with interns. And I'm not looking at your GPA. I'm not looking at your grades. I'm looking at, you know, skill set. What have you done? Again, are you enthusiastic? Are you willing to learn? No. You know, are you, you know, easy to work with? That's what I'm looking for. You know, I don't really care if you got a C in Diffy Q. I mean, who didn't? So, <laughs> right? Um, so, yeah, just just don't give up. Um, I do wish I had someone say that because a couple of times, right. You know, it was like, Oh, maybe this isn't for me or because so-and-so just said this to me, maybe I need to think of something else. Right. So if I could go back and tell 10 year old Catherine, I would warn her about those comments that were coming her way <laughs> and maybe I'd be able to avoid them altogether. Don't we right? all wish we could, but it's, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I guess that's, I mean, this is such a great, anecdote um not because it was delightful that that happened to you but because it happens to all of us and then how we choose then yes. to uh act out of that or not it is mm -hmm. what matters in the end right. right at some point someone is going to say something like that to you that you will never forget and it, it just you can't you can't prevent it from happening, but you can choose to ignore it and not let it, you know, make life decisions for you. That's right. And I didn't lash out at them. You know, I think I was stunned <laughs> and probably I don't think I said anything, honestly, each time. But yes, it's how you handle it. That's important. For an entity like Girls Who Chase, right? So we're we're obviously grounded in storm chasing and are bro kind of broadening scope into 
weather studies and meteorology. Where do you think the most potential value lies to the STEM and weather communities and more broadly, I think, in empowering girls and women to look at these fields um, in what Girls Who Chase can do and the difference that we can make? Um, And out of that, where would you most like to see us investing time and resources? So you're already doing it to a certain extent. And that's visibility. And I know you and yeah. I have talked about this so much that if I, I can see Absolutely. it, I can be it, right? And there's still out there probably a lot of girls who don't have access to seeing people like you or me or, you know, the female meteorologist on the Weather Channel or, you know, Dylan Dreyer to be like, I could do that, right? So it's getting into those nooks and crannies and those other communities where, you know, a girl might be being told she's not pretty on the playground, you know, that getting to her and saying, you know, you're perfect the way that you are, you want to do weather, you want to do storm chasing or math, insert which engineering, you know, you can do it. And, you know, investing the ability to get out there and do it, whether it's in woman power and manpower. But, you know, bodies to get out there, you know, mediums too. social media helps. And obviously you're excelling at that big time. So, you know, it's the visibility and nothing beats face to face, you know, of phone is great. You know, I talk to as many students as I can, however, medium is easiest. But, you know, it's those connections of face to face that have often flourished into something more using me as an example you know, meeting people in person really makes a difference. So just getting out there and showing girls. Well, and I, I do think actually uh, everyone, whether wittingly or unwittingly has fed into uh, the amplification of girls who chase over the last year. Right. I mean, we would not have Mm -hmm. been, we certainly would not have been on the today show um, or many of these other platforms without the assistance, without the interest in an assistance from female meteorologists who understood that mm-hmm. and said, yeah. we need to do this. Like we need to get them on air because someone should be talking right. about this. So I think, you know, we somehow kind of created this super network <laughs> um, without really even <laughs> yes. like strategizing it, you know, but like, right. man, if I, if I sat down to run the numbers and maybe I should at some point, right. Looked at the circulation of each of these platforms and added them all together. I mean, we've been in front of millions of people in the last, it's been less than a year since we launched. So that is a big part of it. But I think now, right to your point, um, just because it was on air doesn't mean that it reached people it really needed to, or, um, right, that everyone has access in the same way. And so I think that's part of the focus moving forward is how do we start to kind of break that down and really drill down into some of these places, get into classrooms, um, right, where, mm-hmm. again, if you can see it, you can be it. So um, thank you for that feedback. That's that's helpful to know <laughs> that we've, we're doing <laughs> something right over here. Well, like I said, you're already doing it. You know, it's almost like I'm just like your cheerleader, like keep doing it. <laughs> Cheerleader and support. It's not not easy. Yes, that's right. Yeah. You can count on me. I mean, it is, (laughs) it is after all because of you that we were on the TV show. Because of you. (laughs) 
couldn't help myself. <laughs> uh, for everyone I can't listening, decide. it's the Kelly yeah, Clarkson reference. We we often now say that it's because of you <laughs> to Catherine who <laughs> supported us on the Today Show. Um, and I think is it was a big reason why Kelly Clarkson, you know, asked me to come on the show that that all of this kind of happened the way it did. But yeah, <laughs> that's going to live forever. I, and I, I keep wanting to sing it, but I don't know if we've got that six second rule where we're going to get dinged by copyright. So oh, yeah, fair. I'm not going to do that to you. I mean, not frankly, that. If, if well, if we don't sing it well, maybe that's not the case. But yeah, that's a good as point. long as we're off tune and then we sing so poorly they can't even tell what song it is is what you're saying yeah i like that that's right no that's a good strategy we'll still we'll spare them we'll still spare them (laughs) yeah we could do that we could do that offline in front of a supercell i like that idea that's a better idea (laughs) okay challenge Um, accepted (laughs) so if someone is listening to this and is thinking to themselves this uh, the direction that Catherine took is amazing. This sounds right for me. And they would like to follow a similar career path. What do you think is the most, and you sort of answered this, but I guess let's drill down into specifics. What do you think is the most important value, skill, education that you would need in your toolbox um, to be successful and thrive in the industry? That Can it you be non-course in? related? It can be anything you think is most important. I mean, we're all going to have to drag ourselves through college, but I think you're a great example that a lot of your courses probably don't correspond with what you're doing So coursework aside, because like you said, everyone's going to have to take the math, the science, or they might find a roundabout way like I did. It's, again, those character traits of, you know, fortitude and perseverance, because whether you go into broadcast meteorology or National Weather Service forecasting, it's not going to be easy. I always say, you know, weather never sleeps. It doesn't take holidays. It's 24 7, 365. You know, so you'll work every hour of the day and every day of the week and every holiday and your birthday. And, you know, you may miss holidays with families, right? So, that's that whole element that you need to be prepared for and be able to power through as you're going through it. So you've got to have those character traits of sticking with it. And you and I talked a little bit beforehand, love what you do, because you're going to do it for a long time. And if you slap on odd hours and odd days and shift work on top of that, it's all that much harder. So definitely follow your passion and love what you do because then, you know, you'll keep going and it'll be easier. It does. Makes it worth it. That's right. Any particular resources that you would recommend or websites they visit, uh, social media accounts you think are useful, anything specific? Uh, Storm Prediction Center. Again, that's my first inclination because I love tornadoes and storm chasing (laughs) everybody when we're out there that's (laughs) you know our roadmap right so you know I am a big fan of all of the NOAA resources that are out there NOAA they are free you know open source there's you know you can download maps download images you know kind of play around with them put them into your own make your own forecast if you will you know, and those are the best forecasters, some of the best in the business, you know, National Weather Service, Storm Prediction Center, 
Weather Prediction Center, National Hurricane Center, they all fall, you know, fall under that NOAA umbrella. And any weather information you're looking for, you're going to find it there, you know, for starters. And just you just need a web browser. It's all you need. And then, you know, start Googling. So that's where I would start. Well, and the good news is we already have a bunch of great NOAA education sites listed on girlswhochase.com. So if you awesome. go to our education page, uh, like girlswhochase.com slash education, um, that would be a great place to start. We also have the Storm Prediction Center linked off of there as well, because uh, everyone is hopelessly addicted to <laughs> looking at that research. Yes. Um, <laughs> And then I think lastly, uh, you are on social media and you're a great follow on Twitter uh, relative to learning about current weather Mm -hmm. events and and data as well. Um, Where can folks find you online? Yes. So Twitter is, you know, my number one. I'm on there all day, all the time, sharing things, retweeting, you know, other people that I love to follow. So at Catherine Prosive is my handle. So I was very original. I mean, clearly, hey, at least you were able that. to get it. But you yeah. can find me. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, you can find me there. That's kind of my main mode of social media these days. And I make it a point to tweet everybody back. So, you know, that's how I've made a lot of friendships and, and gotten a lot of relationships of being willing to keep that conversation going. So please follow me and say hi and we'll start chatting. Cool. Well, this was a great conversation. Um, we covered a, a wide range of topics and we did. Um, thank you for being so open about uh, your career and how you've gotten to where you're at. I think these stories are, are just critically important for people to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, and thank you for your time and for joining me today. Well, thank you for having me. And I look forward to seeing where you all go in the future. Because of you. And hopefully be a part of it. <laughs> because of you. That's right. Today's episode was recorded and edited by me, Jen Walton. Our music is by Storm Chaser Lori Bailey in collaboration with artist Ines Lobo. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. You can follow us at Girls Who Chase on Instagram and Twitter to hear about our upcoming events and see storm photos and videos from our badass contributors. You can support this initiative by donating or by becoming a Patreon member, where you'll get exclusive access to storm chasing content, forecasting information, and merchandise. You can find links to all of these at girlswhochase.com and in the show notes. Signing off for now. We'll see you under a mezzo.